Hello, hello, and welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. Today, I am talking with the famous integrative dietitian, Esther Blum. We're talking all about her top tricks and hacks for perimenopausal and menopausal women that she has seen work over her many years of experience. Esther is a dietitian and high-performance coach. She's currently maintains a virtual practice and is routinely quoted in the media, plus has multiple TV appearances, such as on The Dr. Oz Show, The Today Show, and Fox News Live. She is the best-selling author of five books, including her newest one, See You Later, Ovulator. Plus, Pave Women Don't Get Fat, Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous, Secrets of Gorgeous, and the Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous Project. It was an absolute pleasure talking with her today as her no BS approach to entering menopause is just what we needed to hear. Here's a clip from today's conversation. I am not a big fan of keto. I do see some women who benefit from keto, but they'll do keto for three months and then all of a sudden it stops working and they regain all the weight because your adrenals tank, you don't have enough carbs to support the conversion of T4 to T3, which is the active form of thyroid hormone. So long-term, you really want to have carbs in your diet. And as someone who has a very loving, romantic relationship with carbs, I like to teach women on the right kinds of carbs. So not only that, but I do like women to have carbs before bed, which goes against a lot of what we were taught. And the thing is this, you're not sleeping so well right now. So that nice bump in insulin from your dinnertime carbs is going to blunt the effect of cortisol as your insulin comes up. This means that you sleep better. You're not waking up totally wide awake with your mind racing, you're drenched in sweat. If you can override that piece with your diet and kind of do a lot of protein by day and carbs at night, and I'm talking at least a cup, cup and a half, you really are gonna sleep well, you'll feel good, you won't feel carb depleted. That's just a small taste of the amazing show we have for you today. Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that, of course, is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. And if you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you are placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. And Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 25 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. So if you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's get on with the show. Oh my goodness. Esther, thank you so much for being on the Root Cause Medicine podcast. Thank you for having me, Carrie. I'm so, so, so excited to hang out with you. Well, I don't think the listeners know this, but I had known you. I fangirled you for years and years and years, years ago with one of your first books. A patient gave it to me for Christmas and she was like, do you know this author? I mean, this is years, this is probably your first book. And I was like, oh, she's amazing. And then the next, your next book came out and she gave me that book for Christmas as well. So I just started And then I met you on social media and here we are. We're friends and you're on the podcast. Oh my goodness, (laughs) I'm blushing. I am blushing right now. First of all, please thank your your patient. And you've never told me this story, so... I know. (laughs) 
Wow. Thank you. Yes. You just made my day. Cause I, I know when I, when we were talking about getting on this podcast, I told my husband, I was like, I'm going on my girl crushes podcast. <laughs> like I was, I was so, so excited. So, and here, that's how I feel about you. I know. And here we are. Dreams do come true. Yes, they do. Well, for the people who don't know you or know anything about your books, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, what you stand for, and we'll dive in. Yeah. What I stand for. Well, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> All right. I am very much the reality Barbie when it comes to eating. I am a clinically trained dietitian. I come from a family of doctors and my grandfather took my tonsils out himself in his OR in his house in Brooklyn. That's a whole nother story, but <laughs> wow. So, and my dad was like an amazing doctor. My mom was a nurse. So yeah, a whole line of healers, but I very much believe your body is a temple, but who says it can't be a nightclub? Like I am just martini in one hand and wheatgrass in the other. So that's kind of how I approach my eating, my work with my clients is just to be as relaxed about food as possible, but really empower people to take control of them, their health, to be self-advocates, to test and not guess and really get to the root cause of their health issues. Because I worked in hospitals for so many years for at least the first five years of my career and worked in cardiology units and was like literally giving people five minutes, 10 at most of diet instruction after they had a heart attack, sending them home, never saw them again. So that wasn't really helpful. And then I slowly, I left the hospital. I worked for a functional, I got trained in functional medicine, worked for a functional medicine doctor and then went out on my own. And over the years, the longer I do this carry, the more I see the rampant medical gaslighting and hear like, horror stories with what medicine is now. We're in this really strange place where like med school curriculums have not been updated, but functional medicine treatments are really on the cutting edge of absolute elite treatments, but not everyone affords functional medicine. So this is why I started writing my books to kind of be able to give people to really literally open the kimono on my practice and say, here's a consultation in a $15 book, basically. And here's how to advocate for your health. What tests do you need? How are you going to solve your imbalances? Instead of going to a doctor and just hearing what's all in your head, or this morning I talked to a client who's clearly hypothyroid and her doctor said, go see a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, you're clearly hypothyroid, go to an endocrinologist. So it's like, I'm just, I'm really fed up with people having to suffer needlessly. So that's kind of what I stand for is just, this is a gaslight free zone. I really make it my mission to just give people the tools they need to get better. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. And I love to going back. I was, when you said the cutting edge part of functional medicine, I was just at or online, the Institute for Functional Medicine's conference was this past weekend. And one of the speakers was talking about a topic and he said, this isn't mainstream and conventional medicine, but at this point, there's so much literature being published about it now. It needs to be. And it's really frustrating when I get pushback. This is the speaker talking. He said, I get pushback that there's no literature on that. And he's like, actually, there's copious amounts of research on it. It's in mainstream journals too. Like, what are you reading? And I thought, yes, Yes, I, the gaslighting, even between practitioners, let alone the, your practitioner and the patient, is just as huge. And when somebody says that doesn't exist or that's not true, and it's like, well, actually, 
If you just do a quick little search, you're going to find Google Scholar, PubMed, whatever you're looking up to date, which are all websites we use, you'll find a lot. And so I am so glad to have you on because gaslight-free zone, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And even as a traditionally trained dietitian, I have a bachelor's and a master's. And when I went and took my functional medicine course, I was handed a manual of studies this thick with all the research to support the supplements we use, the protocols I was taught. And I was furious because I was so in debt. It took me 10 years to pay off my student loans. And I was like, I didn't learn any of this Mm -hmm. at all after Mm -hmm. all. And what I learned in four months was like, it just absolutely revolutionized my practice. So very grateful to have the knowledge now and can absolutely never look back, but it is fascinating to see the gap. That's the truth. Well, speaking of the gap, we're going to talk about now the gap as you transition from cycling years into your perimenopause and menopausal years, because that is a pet project of yours with a new book coming out here soon. And I get a lot of questions, as you do, around perimenopause and menopause. And going back to our whole no gaslighting theme, a big (laughs) question I get, and I want your opinion is, why aren't we taught about perimenopause and menopause? Mm. Like, why is it this big secret for women, just high level in general? How many of your clients have come to you and said, what is happening to my body? What is this change? And why is nobody talking about it? Yeah. It's fascinating. When I was researching, so the name of my book, it's called See You Later, Ovulator, Mastering Menopause Through Nutrition, Hormones, and Self-Advocacy. And when I was doing the research, I saw all the flawed research and there is so much scare. There are so many scare tactics around using hormones. There's a couple of levels to this question, okay? So first is hormones cause cancer. That is the message that has been the message. The North American Menopause Society actually revised this statement in 2018 and said, oopsie, the data was not analyzed correctly. The data was not correct. And by the way, the hormones that were being used in the research for postmenopausal replenishment therapy was used with, from the urine or derived from the urine of pregnant horses. That is not exactly biocompatible with a female human's body right? So, but nevertheless, the research is showing that hormone replenishment therapy is safe, it's effective, and it's safe for long-term use. But a lot of doctors don't have it. I list, I have so many studies. I have six or seven pages, single-spaced of studies in this book that show that not only is it safe, Not only is it effective, but it helps prevent the onset of chronic degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, heart disease, and osteoporosis. So the unfortunate part is that a lot of doctor's offices have not updated their pamphlets in their office to reflect this, number one. Number two, a lot of doctors believe that the prescription of hormones is an off-label use and they won't touch it, right? So here's the thing about that. Let's talk about what's off-label use. Prescribing Prilosec for more than 14 days, which is a stomach acid blocker that prevents reflux, for those of you who don't know. And yet people, doctors say, you can take it forever, right? I watched my father's spine crumble and watched him bent in half from these drugs. And he was a doctor. And I'd always say, get off that stuff. But he did not. So I can tell you firsthand the damage that off-label use of medications does. The pill is actually, and taking the pill 
constantly without ever getting the period to my, you can correct me here, Carrie, but best of my knowledge is also an off-label use of this medication. So doctors will put you on the pill when you're a teenager having irregular periods. Then they'll tell you to take it all the way until you have a baby, then which suppresses your progesterone production and your normal hormone production. Then you'll be put on an IUD after you have a baby because you don't remember to take the pill all the time. But no doctors want to put you on hormones after your period stops. So therein lies a philosophical conflict of interest, if you ask me. And then the third thing is that it's not taught in medical school. The medical school curriculum is not up to date on women's health. And women's health has historically had very poor representation in research studies. When I was writing Cave Women Don't Get Fat, I looked at 73 studies on intermittent fasting. 13 were done on women. It's just they're done on rats and they're done on men. So we really have to start changing that. I mean, you well, we have two choices, right? We can either fight our doctors, our current doctors, or we can just work with a functional medicine doctor and move on with our life and not waste our time. But it it is a shame because in the process, we're getting horribly gaslit and My clients do go to doctors saying, wow, I'm having hot flashes and insomnia and my libido stinks and I've gained like 10 pounds. And they're like, well, that's just menopause. And no one is starting the discussion on the fact that you can start taking very low doses of bioidentical hormone in the perimenopausal process. So that is why I wrote this book to kind of get the information out there, which is backed by research and science and is legit. And we need it. Even our pharmacies, if anyone's ever picked up a prescription at the pharmacy remotely related to hormones, you get about eight printed out pages of information about the Women's Health Initiative study and how it's going to give you cancer. So take it at your own risk. I mean, I would have patients that would call me hysterical. Oh my gosh, my pharmacist printed this thing out and says I'm going to get cancer because of this study that so much controversy around it. Oh my gosh, even our pharmacies, our conventional pharmacies are not up to date in 2021, 2022 with what's what our literature is showing us. And that's so frustrating as a patient when you're trying to advocate for yourself and just do what you hope is what's best for you. Yes. And then you're getting outdated information. Yes. And then you get your doctors refusing to treat you or help you and are just told you to go home and wait it out for the next five to 10 years, which is not okay. Right, right. You mentioned a few of the symptoms of perimenopause, menopause. Can you go into that? Like what So if somebody's listening, like what's the typical age? What symptoms should they be looking for? How do they know that this podcast is for them? This book is for them? Yeah. So perimenopause usually starts somewhere in your mid forties. The average age for menopause is 50 and menopause is the period of time when you've gone 12 months consecutively without a period. So if you're a starter and a stopper, like you miss a period, you get a period, then six months go by, then you get another period. You do have to start the clock all over again. So we're so sorry about that. But once you've gone a solid 12 months without a period, you do, you are menopausal. For those of you who are not aware, you still need birth control, okay? Even if you're not really ovulating, as my mom was a postpartum nurse and she used to say, all it takes is one drop. (laughs) So make sure (laughs) that you're using some kind of birth control there. So perimenopause usually starts in the 40s. However, there are many of you listening who may have gone through it in your late 20s and throughout your 30s. There is really 
I've seen it all over the map. So you can also look at when your mom had went through menopause, although my mom, she had a surgical hysterectomy when she was 46. So I have no idea when she went through. But the signs and symptoms can be, you notice that your sleep is less robust, less deep. You're waking up more. You wake up at three. You can't fall back asleep. There can be an uptick in anxiety and or depression. You can have changes in your thyroid function. You may notice you have an increase of food intolerances and all of a sudden have this bloating happening, more irritability. Also, like you're more hot at night. You notice, hey, I'm so, you may not be hot flashing, but you're like, wow, I need a fan on me now, or I throw off my blankets, or I can only sleep in a tank top now. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> and then you may miss a period. You're like, check, check, check. And you may miss periods here and there. So you kind of like back. I think it was you, Carrie, who said you back out of menstruation the way you went in. Was that you on one of your posts? Yeah, reverse puberty. Reverse puberty. Reverse puberty. Yes, yes, yes. Which I thought was such a great analogy for it. So those can be your symptoms of perimenopause. Absolutely. My, I'll be 45 and this year and our upstairs bedroom, for whatever reason, HVAC issues, is warmer than the rest of the house. And every night when I wake up warm or hot in the morning, I'll look at my husband and go, was it hot? Was it hot last night? Were you hot too? <laughs> Were you also hot? And he's, you know, he'll be like, oh yeah, it was really warm last night. I'm like, okay, for you. <laughs> is it me or is it the room? I'm constantly yeah. checking. Is it me or yes. is it the room? It's the game that I play as we get into the warmer, the warmer months and warmer seasons. And do you notice the second half of your cycle is different than the first or is it kind of consistent oh, yeah. throughout? Oh no, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I hear when I was in my thirties, I had patients who are older than me say, you just wait, wait until you hit 45 and your sleep stops and you put on 10 pounds and, 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 and I was like, no way that won't happen to me. (laughs) And when I hit my forties, I want to say at like 43, I realized my sleep wasn't as good. Now it's better. I've made a lot of adjustments because I didn't have a choice. But the other interesting thing is I used to have a memory that was super sharp and could remember anything. And I didn't really need to make lists if I didn't need to. And now I definitely find myself, especially when my stress is higher, where I'll go, what was I just going to do? Why did I just open that tab? Why did I just pick up this pen? Like, what was I looking for? (laughs) And I have to stop and think. And as a girlfriend of mine was like, well, maybe you multitask too much, which is true. But at the same time, I never used to have that problem. I could multitask and stay on track. And now I find I have to slow down, not multitask as much because that and make more lists. And I was told that too. I would have patients in their 40s say to me, you just wait, you just wait. You're going to start making all sorts of lists. And I was like, no. Yeah, they were right. (laughs) (laughs) Brain health, brain health. Well, and yeah, I mean, when you're not sleeping as much, hello, of course. And I always get the dropsies too when I'm PMS. Yeah. I totally will like drop things all and like just be very clumsy too, which, and that happened to me in pregnancy too. So it's interesting. Progesterone. And that's so funny. So I do some work with athletes and progesterone changes our saltwater balance. So it changes kind of like our proprioception in space. And so what can happen is, and me especially, as I get close to my period, I break glasses. I'm not allowed to have f- nice glassware because <laughs> I've managed to break all of them. And so oh. if I break something, my husband's always like, is your period due soon? I'm like, sure is. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting is I posted on this on social media not long ago. And the amount of women that wrote in the comments and the DMs who said, that's me. I drop everything. I trip. I run into walls. I'm not as graceful. I can't have nice glassware either was really 
pretty eye-opening. So I, we're not alone. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're not alone at all. <laughs> not at all. Not alone. No. So with you, if somebody comes to see you and they are in their forties or fifties and they're reporting a lot of these symptoms, where do you even start? Where do you start when somebody comes in SOSing? Yeah. So I test, I do not guess. I run extensive blood work and especially an extensive thyroid hormone panel. TSH is a very poor excuse for a comprehensive thyroid panel. And yet it's what a lot of doctors rely on. So you really have to do about six or seven different thyroid tests in the blood. And I look at also metabolic markers. I look at inflammatory markers, cardiac risk factors, and B vitamins, magnesium, zinc. I really try and make sure and ferritin levels make sure that the whole picture is comprehensive when it comes to blood work. And I also do two tests that are done at home. One is a stool test called the GI map. One is a Dutch test, which is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. Hello, Carrie Jones, the queen of the Dutch test. (laughs) My alma mater. Your alma mater. (laughs) That's what I say. I love it. I love it. I love it. And yeah, I mean, you and your team really trained me beautifully on using it. And so what I do is, yeah, I run these tests because I want to look at your gut function. I want to see if you have any stealth infections or parasites or pathogens, or if you have dysbiosis, a leaky gut, a gluten sensitivity, or if you are excreting your estrogen properly or reabsorbing it into the gut. Because if your gut function is off and you want to start hormone replenishment, trust me, you are not going to feel well you're constipated and you're not pooping every day, you're not excreting your hormones. I always say hormones, I liken them to kind of just a nicely moving stream or a gentle moving river, but it should not be like a stagnant pond where they're just sitting and not moving through your liver, through all the phases of detoxification, which you can speak to the biochemistry on a much more elaborate level. I try (laughs) to just keep it basic, but yeah, so I do stool testing And constipation is one of the most frequently solvable problems that I treat in practice. It really so much is diet and lifestyle. And sometimes it's digestive enzymes. Sometimes there are structural issues, but I really solve constipation even in people with torturous colons. So you really can get to it. It takes some time and patience, but you can do it. And then I do the Dutch test because I want to look at how hormones are moving through your body. Are they going down the right pathways? It's really a good assessment to see if you are a candidate for hormone replenishment or not. Do you have a fatty liver? Do you have some blood sugar imbalances? What's your cortisol like? Because that's also gonna tell me, hey, I see that you've been doing a lot of spin classes and that's really great for your heart, but not so much for your sleep right now. And perhaps you should do either shorter, more intense duration workouts, or you can also just get into more restorative workouts, like tons of walking and some yoga and weights two to three times a week. And oh my gosh, your energy and your sleep are going to come back and you're going to put on muscle and get lean. So I look at that. And then also, of course, I look at the neurotransmitters in your brain. I do the Dutch Complete, which has an organic acids test. Because again, I want to see if you're low in melatonin, what's your dopamine, serotonin production like. So Really, it's getting your brain happy. It's getting your stomach, your intestinal tract happy, which will help your brain function better. And then it's getting your liver happy so that hormones come in, they can go out. And then you start to get your quality of life back. I have a client that was having horrible, horrible hot flashes. And we just, she had so many gut issues. I said, I'm not even going to treat your hormones yet. We cleaned up her gut and it was like, 
they all went away. And I didn't put her on any supplements to treat her hormones at all. I put her on probiotics, digestive enzymes, and whatever else her gut needed. So it's really profound how these changes affect you. And hormones, although I'm a huge, huge fan, if you don't fix your body and the big rocks of your metabolism and health, you're going to be in trouble. You're actually going to feel worse and it's not going to be a great use of your time and resource. Like I always say, you can't out hormone your lifestyle. You can't out supplement your lifestyle. You've got to, if you're reading your on your tablet till 1130 and your sleep is really poor, it's all going to go downhill from there. So I do get my people to meditate, to actually make their room a screen-free zone to, or meditate with a, an app and then put it away. Just the basics, right? Like unplugging, un deleting your social media apps on the weekends, just really getting back to the basics. It's, which is what it's all about. I mean, I'm going to go deep into some of these things you've said, because yeah. I know there's going to be a lot of questions around what was that test again? And what am I looking for? <laughs> but I over and over and over, I'm asked, I know you're asked as we're talking about this, yeah. people go, oh crap, it's just the basics, isn't it? I'm like, it is, it is. I understand, trust me, we live in a busy world. We have families and jobs and kids and the world is stressful and we're just hoping for the magic supplement. And while supplements can be great, they can be a nice Band-Aid, they can be helpful. Man, you nailed it on the head. You can't out hormone yourself. You can't supplement <laughs> yourself, you know, if you're not, taking care of the basics. And I was just talking to this big meditation coach last week and we were part of a panel and somebody said to her, oh God, I'm afraid to ask, how long do you meditate? And she said, 10 minutes. I meditate 10 minutes a day. And we were expecting hours. You were like, like <laughs> Gandhi himself. We're like, oh gee. She's like, no, I have 10 minutes. I run a business. I do this. I do that. I do this. I do that. And she said, I do 10 minutes and it's life-changing for me. And I thought, oh, that's what I do. I only do 10 minutes. Like, look at me. <laughs> I do what the meditation coach does. This is great. It is. So, and I think that can be really freeing for a lot of women who think, are you kidding? Look at my schedule. There's no way I could squeeze some of this stuff in. And even just two minutes of breathing exercises, just two minutes, quick breathing exercises, or before you, when you get into bed at night, lay in bed, do two minutes of breathing exercises and then fall asleep. And it's these little things that, you know, as you, and you talk about in your book, that add up over time and make a huge difference. Yeah, totally. I mean, that I put myself on, it's interesting because I'm actually, as we record this podcast, I'm being treated for mold and Lyme, which talk about brain fog. Hello, like totally got my brain function back. Amen. But I started, my doctor ran a meditation challenge, which I thought was amazing. And he was like, the way to heal is, this is Tom Moorcroft for anyone who, yeah. please, the best human. He's chronically happy. He's so amazing. And he was like, the best way to heal is to meditate and see yourself as if it's already way behind you. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I listened to this guy on Insight Timer, David G, J-I. Yeah. He is also yeah. like, oh, he is so rad. And he has this meditation called Deep Healing. And he's like, all you need to do, right, is 56 days. That's eight weeks. That's less than two months to change the shape of your brain, to change that fight or flight center. Right. And his meditation for you people, it's 22 minutes. I barely make it to the end. I usually fall asleep. But honestly, I have missed two days in, I'm probably on month 10 now. And oh my God, it just, it changes how you respond to stress. It like helps you think more clearly. You're more organized. It just lowers your cortisol. But for people who only want to do it 10 minutes, it's all you need. 10 minutes is all you need to lower your cortisol. 
And I use Insight Timer too. It's one of my, and I've no, I don't have any affiliation or anything with Insight Timer. I just love that it's yeah, literally same. you can time. So if I only have five minutes, I do five minutes. And if I have a little longer, I'm feeling longer, then I set the timer. I can, you know, you can search, you can search by time, guided, not guided music. So it's really a nice app for that reason. So say that, say his name again for people. David G, it's J-I, and it's the deep healing meditation. And it's free, guys. There's no cost to this. So breathing is free. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to go back to the labs because I know some women listening are going, the most I get at a lab work, I go in for my physical and I'll get a cholesterol and maybe a red and white blood cell and a glucose and a pap. And (laughs) that's all I get. Can you just touch a little deeper on like thyroid, when you are advocating for yourself, what do you want people to ask for when they want a full thyroid panel? Yes. So, okay. And this is where I'm going to need you to step in because I never remember all the names of the tests, <laughs> but I'll be full disclosure and say, I give my clients a written list and I list them out in the book too. But definitely, of course, you want a TSH, you want a reverse T3, a T4, mm-hmm. a TPO, which is thyroid, peroxidase, 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 TG antibodies. I list as TGAB, thyroid. That's what I do. Yeah, everyone does. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then what am I? T3. T3. Yeah. I said TSH. TSH is the main one. It's thyroid stimulating hormone. I bet a lot of women have had that at least once in their life. Maybe if they've been pregnant, they probably had a screening TSH. But as you can, just listening to this list, I mean, the thyroid, a thyroid workup is way more than screening. And as a thyroid friend of mine has said, when you look at all of these numbers, it's like looking at, like touching different areas of an elephant. So in conventional, in traditional medicine, you get a TSH and they're like, well, it's not high. Ergo, your entire thyroid system is fine. It's like, no. No, there's a lot of compensatory mechanisms to keep that fine, but everything else is going haywire. So this is why you want to touch every part of the elephant. So in the end, you can go, oh yeah, that's an elephant. Yes. Versus just like, what is this or what is that? That's right. I'm sorry to cut you off. Nope, that's, yeah. But also I've unearthed numerous cases of Hashimoto's in my practice just by checking antibodies, not because the symptoms were there. But because somebody's saying, I'm not feeling right, I've got this and that, but they weren't necessarily thyroid symptoms. They were having a lot of gut issues. And there are also certain bacteria in the gut, and don't ask me to name them without looking them up, but there are certain bacteria in the gut that also correlate with autoimmune conditions and Hashimoto's. And if they're low, you can often be more prone to Hashimoto's. Yes, yes. So yeah, you just, you have to do these tests. I even had Tom run, he's checking my hormones recently. I was like, throw in another thyroid panel, please. He was like, sure. So I just, I test religiously because in menopause, thyroid and perimenopause, your thyroid can really change. And a lot of women start taking thyroid medication after pregnancy and through menopause. Yep. It's these big transitions that us women go through. So puberty, pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopause and menopause. And that's when our hormone systems can crash or can really alter. And so it's not one and done. It's not like, well, I had my thyroid checked two years ago. I'm fine. But now as you're further along into menopause or perimenopause, it's entirely possible, just like you said, things are crashing and burning. So keep a periodic check on it. Don't just assume it's one and done. That's right. And also when you go through menopause, basically the primary site of your hormone production, which is your ovaries, flips and kind of migrates over to your adrenals. Your ovaries are like, good night now. I'm going to sleep. I think you did 
you did a hilarious sleeping beauty where you were wearing like a pink hoodie yes. and a tiara and the voice you were lip syncing was like, never. Goodbye. Goodbye now. <laughs> never. No, never. Yeah. My period's never coming back. <laughs> never. Oh, bye. Maybe. Bye. And yeah, so your adrenals really take the brunt of the rest of your hormone production. Well, you do need healthy adrenals to also support your thyroid function. So if you're in a chronically stressed out state, and this is the time of life when we may have teenagers, which I think is nature's cruel trick. I'm like, you made us have teenagers while going through menopause. Like I said to my husband, you should probably move out for about 10 more years and then <laughs> you'll be good. Come back in. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so... You have teenagers and often aging parents at the same time. And you're, we're usually in the height of our careers, like the 40s and 50s is when it really peaks, especially for women. We're really coming into our own now. So, or we're becoming empty nesters and are trying to figure out like, how do I, what's next for me? So your adrenals are understandably under a lot of wear and tear. So you've got to make sure that that's supported. So your thyroid's really healthy too. And one of the other big symptoms I want to touch on, because it's it's a huge one that I get asked, is the weight gain of perimenopause and menopause. And I want to bring it up from a, because you've mentioned like blood sugar markers, inflammatory markers, long-term risk. And so with that, the weight gain of perimenopause and menopause isn't always what we call metabolically healthy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's going to increase our blood sugar insulin. It's going to increase these inflammatory little hormones that we have running around. Women often report to me, I didn't change anything. I didn't change my diet. I didn't change my exercise. And yet I'm 15 pounds heavier. I don't like it. I feel more sluggish. I feel more blah. What is going on there? And what do you do as a highly trained registered dietitian? Like, what do you do with this? Yeah. So what happens is I always say, if you didn't have a muffin top before, you can have one now or your muffin top turns into a cake top. So yes, as your estrogen and progesterone decline, your cortisol can come up and your insulin receptors become less receptive to insulin. There is a fantastic research study I talk about a lot. I saw it years ago where there were two groups, two control groups of type two diabetics. One group took metformin and did not lose weight. And the other group did not take metformin and did weightlifting instead. And the group that did the weightlifting without menformin had better blood glucose control because lifting weights and challenging your muscle. And if you're not lifting weights, you know, using bands, resistance, body weight, any of that, anything that's going to stress your muscle, but ideally at some point, yes, some weight would be wonderful. That is going to drive insulin into your cells. Okay. And so, and I couple that with changing your carb picture. I am not a big fan of keto. I do see a lot of, I can't even say a lot. I do see some women who benefit from keto or you read this online. These are not my clients, but they'll do keto for three months. And then all of a sudden it stops working and they regain all the weight because your adrenals tank, you don't have enough carbs to support the conversion of T4 to T3, which is the active form of thyroid hormone. So long-term, it's great short-term, but long-term, you really want to have carbs in your diet. And as someone who has a very loving, romantic relationship with carbs, I like to teach women. I mean, like, I don't know if I'm a, a committed carbocide per se. I'm very judicious with my carbs, but teaching women on the right kinds of carbs. So swapping out bagels for sweet potatoes or breakfast cereal for a bowl of eggs with some fresh fruit 
having some flax or chia pudding with that, which can actually help bind excess estrogen if you're estrogen dominant, pull it out. Really swapping out for whole food carbs, for quinoa, legumes if you tolerate them, rice. What am I missing? My squash. Squash. Thank you. Butternut winter squash. <laughs> thank you. All of those and fruit and complex vegetables, leafy greens, all of those are wonderful. So not only that, but I do like women to have carbs before bed, which goes against a lot of what we were taught. And the thing is this, you're not sleeping so well right now. So that nice bump in insulin from your dinnertime carbs is going to blunt the effect of cortisol as your insulin comes up. This means that you sleep better. You're not waking up totally wide awake with your mind racing, you're drenched in sweat. If you can override that piece with your diet and kind of do a lot of protein by day and carbs at night, and I'm talking at least a cup, cup and a half, you really are going to sleep well. You'll feel good. You won't feel carb depleted. The other option is to time your carbs around your workouts. I know when I lift really heavy, I actually have a couple spoons of honey with some salt on it or banana with honey to really bump up my insulin and shut off that cortisol. So I'm not in this like hyper adrenal state. But there are wonderful, you have a couple other options too. One is there are wonderful herbs to help kind of give your progesterone that last nice bump, kind of that last appearance at the party. Um, Chase tree is wonderful. That really, or Vitex, that helps get progesterone up. You can do some black cohosh to help with hot flashes and some borage oil or vitamin E, and that will enable you to sleep better, which will also correct some of that belly insulin resistance. And then if you're a candidate, I do have women either put on topical progesterone cream or if their progesterone's really rock bomb, we start them on oral progesterone trochies. And a trochee is like a, a waxy oral tablet that dissolves in your mouth, bypasses the liver. So it's absorbed really quickly. If you want to get it at the pharmacy and covered by insurance, um, Prometrium is a, a good oral progesterone. It does have to go through your digestive tract and your liver. And it isn't a base of peanut oil. So if you have peanut allergies, don't use it. But those are a couple of wonderful options. A, a progesterone trochee does have to be made in a compounding pharmacy and the out-of-pocket cost is greater, but it seems to be better tolerated. And I like it because you can really, you can score it into smaller pieces and really do less the first half of your cycle, more the second half of your cycle when you're more insulin resistant. So there's a lot of ways to skin the cat here. <laughs> what about protein? You mentioned protein mm. earlier, and I feel I've been learning more and more and more that women are just under protein. What do you think about that? They are. And all of you need to follow our girl, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who is like... I was going to say, yeah, hello. I was going to quote her. Ah, <laughs> oh, please. She's the best. Muscle is the organ of longevity. That is my favorite Gabrielle quote. But she and I have gone back and forth on like protein research papers and... There is so much research that shows not only do we need more protein than we're given overall or than we're advised to. The RDA, by the way, advises like 0.6 to 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. That works out for the average adult for like 60, maybe 80 grams of protein. And to give you perspective on how little that is, that's what I have my dialysis patients eating in the hospital. So the real recommendations, the better ones are ideal, one gram per pound of ideal body weight, okay? And if you're lifting heavy and if you're aging, it's actually like up to 1.2 grams per pound of ideal body weight. Now, 
So this works out to, in simple math, I won't take you all through it, but works out to like four to six ounces of protein three times a day and maybe spread out over a snack or two. So it is the most challenging macro for my clients to have. I joke, it's an abundance of riches, right? We, they're like, I can't eat enough for during the day and I lose weight. Why do we lose weight with protein? Because it sustains your blood sugar for four to six hours after you eat it. You don't crash. It also raises your serotonin and dopamine. So bye-bye cravings, bye-bye 3 p.m. crash and Starbucks and a brownie craving. It also helps you sleep better at night right? And it helps you build lean muscle. If you're doing all the strength training and you're not eating enough protein, good luck building muscle, especially after menopause. It can be done, but man, it's a lot harder than when you're in your twenties and could like lift weights for a week and start looking cut. So protein is really, it reigns queen as your metabolic mistress. I definitely increased my protein. I want to say probably in the last year, I took it really seriously, uh, significantly increased. Now I do eat meat. I So I get the predominance of my protein through meat. We bought half of a free range cow. Nice. And so I have meat all the time and in eggs and other things. And I have noticed a massive difference. And what do you notice? I was definitely under proteined. I noticed that I believe it, I leaned up like it was easier for me to build muscle. I felt better. I have more energy. And I just knew intuitively I needed more protein. Mm-hmm. And I was on the right track. I was definitely, I was having protein. Obviously, I would. I was eating protein. Whether it was plant-based or animal-based, I was getting or even like protein shakes. I've since given up pretty much all protein shakes and just switched completely to meat protein. I was doing an experiment on myself to see if I noticed a difference. And I noticed a huge difference. Now, I know not everyone feels that way and agrees that with that. And that's completely okay. But when listening to Gabrielle Lyon, and I was also listening to another wonderful educator, state Dr. Stacey Sims, who's a yes. PhD women's health researcher out of New Zealand, who talks a lot about muscle and athletes and protein. And by athlete, she's talking about anyone who exercises, whether you're a professionally trained athlete or you work out three to four times a week. And that's when I made the switch. Like, all right, I'm going to, for the next two months, I'm going to really increase my protein and see how I feel. And they were right. I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I needed more protein, especially in my forties and that's fine. So now I make sure to really hone in on my high levels of protein for me. Well, and also for you menstruating mamas out there, the second half of your cycle, there's like that couple days, right? Where your appetite ramps up and your blood sugar's kind of wonky and you're just really hungry. Those are the days to really double up on protein and not give into the Snickers cravings or face plant into a trough of ice cream, basically. <laughs> but those are the times when you really want to double up on your protein and you won't gain weight premenstrually. Like you can really offset a lot of weight gain and sugar cravings. And yeah, yeah. Which is so nice. So, so nice. I will say I still, I only do dark chocolate. I do 75 to 80% or higher. And so I still 100% eat my chocolate, but oh yeah, I added in my protein as well. Let's talk about alcohol because that's a real hard one. That was another one when I was in practice where my patients in their 40s go, what the hell? I used to have a glass of wine and feel fine. (laughs) And now I'm a hot mess, literally. What's going on with alcohol when we hit our 40s and 50s? So you may find, so about 30% of women when they go through perimenopause and menopause develop non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome. And that just makes it really hard. Even if you do have a fatty liver, your body, I believe it's your alcohol dehydrogenase is the name of the, yeah, right? Yeah. Your levels decrease, which means your body metabolizes alcohol much more poorly. 
and it disrupts sleep. It will cause a blood sugar crash around 3 p.m. When your insulin drops, your cortisol goes up. So then you're wide awake and your liver's trying to detox and is like, I don't like this so much anymore. And also, yeah, you can find that you're much more hungover the next day. So if hangovers are a problem and you want, and you're like, I just want a glass of wine at someone's wedding and I don't want to feel hungover, some good old activated charcoal can do the trick. That's a great way to, and you take it half an hour before you have a drink. It's a great way to help absorb it. But ultimately, yes, alcohol and caffeine, you will find you process them a lot less well once you hit perimenopause and menopause. And the problem with alcohol, the struggle with alcohol is the day after, like you're kind of dehydrated, so you actually look lighter and you may weigh less and you're like, woo, I got away with it. And then three days later, like you have your drink Saturday night and by Tuesday, you're like, what yeah. happened? Like, I just put on three pounds and I'm bloated. Alcohol suppresses thyroid function for up to four days after one cocktail. And it does raise circulating estrogen levels for up to six hours after you drink it. So if you're on hormone replacement, certainly, or the pill, or certainly use it judiciously, but it does prevent fat loss when you're drinking. So if you have a drink on Saturday night, right, it's going to take your body till Tuesday to even start recover. You get like four good days of working out and then you have another cocktail on Saturday night. It's kind of a vicious cycle. And it it is a mindset shift for sure. I've cut way back on my drinking. I mean, I'm always in a cocktail state of mind. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, <laughs> like my mind is like martinis and my body's like lavender. So <laughs> my mind's like, no, no, you really want that martini. But my body's like, you're going to hate yourself tomorrow and have a crap night's sleep. So don't go there. So you start to, the trade-off is, right? Yes, you're going to watch your friends have a great time and they're going to dance like a little extra wild that Saturday night. But the next morning, you're going to be the one up at six having not derailed your eating, you're not like getting cravings or you're not saying, well, it's okay. Like your inhibitions won't drop and you're not going to have that late night piece of pizza at midnight. So you will be more virtuous. You will be better rested. And you will also find your irritability decreases. Alcohol, what really prompted me to cut back was like, I was being a total a-hole to my family the night after a drink. And I was like, you know what? I don't like myself. I don't want to be that woman. So I cut way back. And my liver's just so much happier because of it. And I have great energy and I'm just really a lot more consistent with my eating and workouts. And I do want to put the disclaimer in there too, because I get this pushback. I get two kinds of pushback. One is, well, Carrie, I only do vodka in mm -hmm. soda water or Carrie, I only do tequila on the rocks and it doesn't affect my blood sugar at all. I'm like, that's fantastic. It doesn't affect your blood sugar. Still alcohol. You still have to process it through your liver. And the second pushback I get is, well, Carrie, I only drink organic, biodynamic, low sugar wine. I'm like, fantastic, wonderful, same, still alcohol. <laughs> if you still wake up and you feel kind of crappy and you didn't sleep great and you've got any kind of tracker on your body, an Apple watch, an aura ring, a whoop bracelet that says everything is plummeted through the night and you feel puffy a couple days later, you wish that's you trying to process that alcohol. I'm glad your blood sugar stayed stable. Fantastic. Yeah. But the rest of it didn't. <laughs> yes. And I mean, listen, I do have clients that lose weight while drinking. They've usually been men, number one. And the women are literally working out two hours a day and their diet is like super low carb and they're dialed in. But again, that works much better in your younger years. Once you hit menopause, that's really hard to maintain that. So it is possible. And if you can have a cocktail or two and lose body fat, more power to you. That means 
you're in great shape. But for the rest of us, if you're really struggling and you notice that's the one thing, then yeah, give it 30 to 60 days and be like, let me measure my body fat before, during, and after. You will see a difference. It's really hard to not see a result when you take it out. Yeah. A friend of mine just put on social media, I want to say like a month ago, she gave up wine. She lives in wine region out here and she was having a glass of wine every night and she gave up wine. And after a month, she was like, holy crap, my breast tenderness went away. My anxiety went way down. I lost an inch or two around the waist. My sleep is a 10 times better. She's like, I didn't realize just a one glass social, right? She was like, it was enjoyable. It was family dinner. It was wine down. It was it brought joy in a lot of other ways, oxytocin and bonding and everything. But she said, I think she's 47 or 48. And she was like, the rest of my metabolic markers were clearly a hot mess. And I didn't like who I was becoming physically and from the inside out. And so realized it after 30 days of no alcohol. Yes. And there are amazing substitutes, right? Oh, and alcohol also, if you're trying to heal your gut, like, please do not drink yes. alcohol. That is just going to take you down hard. But Okay. There's a product I found. It's a company called Wiley Women, W-I-L-E. I don't have any financial ties. They make one called Unangry. <laughs> and it's like a lavender tonic. And I put that in my water at night. There's another one called... It's Rock Grace. That's it. Rock Grace. You sent me that name to me before. Yes. And yes. that, they it looks like it's in a wine bottle and they have like rose water with infused with crystals it just tastes really pleasant and comes in a wine. It looks like a wine bottle or, you know, just some good old fashioned kombucha or aqua kefir, or there's so many substitutes out there. And it, when you're ordering in a restaurant, right, it doesn't have to be a story in our head. Like, oh, I can't drink. It's like, nope, I don't drink or I'm not drinking. Let me get a club soda. And then it's over, right? That minute pauses and then everyone's back to socializing and not worrying about you. So that's another good little mental hack there. Those are good. Those are so helpful. My gosh. I want to touch on just the last thing is our gut health. We've been talking about it throughout the podcast, how it can change as we go into perimenopause and menopause. So how do you direct women who are listening and saying, yeah, my gut's kind of a mess, gas, bloating, constipation, or heartburn or whatever as I've gotten older. What do you do for that? Yeah. How do you work that up? Well, so first I remove any pathogens or parasites that should not be there. H. pylori, I just did a post that said, is, is H. pylori the new STD? Because like H. pylori, it's really, it's ubiquitous. I mean, it's so prevalent. You can get it kissing your partner. I read this crazy graphic article. I swear it should have been on like a porn site, but it was all about like anal sex versus oral sex and this. And can you pass H. pylori that way? And yeah, you kind of can. Although I don't know how much it lives in lower canals. Right, lower, armor, yeah. But I'm like, okay, but it was fun research. But yeah, so H. pylori is something you definitely want to clean out if it, and you do need to treat you and your partner ideally because it does, it can cause reflux, it can cause ulcers, it can cause all sorts of havoc and it shuts down the production of stomach acid. And you want stomach acid. Stomach acid is a giant firewall that keeps out H. pylori and keeps out pathogens and parasites. And we're coming up on warmer weather in a lot of places. And that's when E. coli presents itself on your spinach, on your strawberries. So my goal is to clear out the pathogens, replenish hydrochloric acid, replenish healthy bacteria. And I do this through supplements, through diet. The gut microbiome really likes diversity. 
It really does. And, you know, we get very stuck eating the same things now because you can get berries in December, even in the Northeast, you get berries in December, you get avocados and mangoes and all these foods that used to only be seasonal. So you got to remember to rotate up your food cooked versus raw. You know, if you're super bloaty, stick to more cooked vegetables. You can try low FODMAP vegetables for a little while to just give you some relief. Soups and stews are great. If you tolerate raw vegetables, certainly, I mean, wash all your produce well, buy organic as much as possible, and really make sure you're getting a lot of protein to heal your gut. And I'd be very mindful of grains and dairy. If you're really trying to heal your gut, they just tend to cause a lot of inflammation and also immune system reactivity. And what I really have seen in my patients is we cut out the funky bacteria. I'm thinking now of my one client who has like autoimmune conditions. She's young and not menopausal yet, but was having just horrible wrist pain and like couldn't lift weights because of her wrists and really, really achy and couldn't digest anything. So we cleaned out her diet, no grains or dairy. She wasn't even eating a lot of animal protein when she first came to me. So we cleaned up her gut and she started having like solid bowel movements a day instead of like painful gas and bloating constipation. She started having solid bowel movements. Her joint pain went away. She has now reintroduced foods. She's eating like legumes, like lentils, which for her was just a hard no. She had some gluten and grain exposures and was okay. And that's and dairy too. And that's what I want for my people is to just get a normal life back and not be on a restricted diet their whole lives. So right. first I weed right? Pull out pathogens and parasites and funky bacterial overgrowth like staph and all these other not nice bugs, pseudomonas, not nice bugs. Then I heal the inflammation. I put in a lot of slippery mucilaginous herbs like, well, glutamine is very helpful, but the slippery ones are marshmallow root, slippery elm, okra. You can eat okra too. And those help restore the nice mucosal lining in the gut because the mucosal lining really takes a nosedive when estrogen and progesterone decline as well. So it helps rebuild that lining and then throw in some digestive fire and take build up to taking hydrochloric acid, which you should not take with an active H. pylori infection. But you slowly reintroduce good acid that acts as a firewall and is very protective. And what happens over time is Lo and behold, you start absorbing your nutrients. You poop every day. Your bloating goes down. Your sleep improves. You have more energy. Clear out your brain fog. So candida is part of that picture too. I do clean out candida or SIBO. And I should mention, you know, a lot of people will come to me, Carrie, and say, I have, sand I have SIBO and I have candida. That's not a primary diagnosis. That's actually a secondary diagnosis. So you want to think about what are the conditions? that are allowing your body to grow these species in the first place. And that's where you get to the root cause of the problem. Not everyone I treat has pathogens or parasites. Some people just have really low stomach acid due to chronic stress and have like very low levels of beneficial bacteria. So sometimes I'm just pouring in the good stuff and there's nothing to clean out. So that goes back to your meditation, right? If you want to heal your gut, you better start <laughs> chilling out yeah. a little bit. Because chronic stress shuts off the production of hydrochloric acid. If you're in a fight or flight state, your body is not going to digest your food. It's like, nope, I got to get up and run potentially. I'm not, I'm not interested. I don't have time for this. <laughs> I don't have time for this. I have no interest. So yeah, that's how we treat it. And some of the listeners might know SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, S-I-B-O. That's what SIBO is. Yes, yes, yes. yes. 
Oh my goodness. This has been a wealth of information. Well, because this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast, we are all about practical and tactical. What would you like to leave the listeners with? Like one or two things that you're like, take this home, implement this tomorrow. Let's make this worthwhile. Mm, That is such a great question. Okay. First and foremost, lifestyle above all. Okay. So make sure, again, I would put yourself on a challenge to meditate or manage your stress or just put your phone away at night. Really make this about you time. Okay. Number two is start optimizing your protein intake now. Do it now because muscle loss creeps up slowly and then all of a sudden it hits. Like you will notice a big change in your body. And I lift weights and eat protein and I notice some changes in my body and I'm like, ooh, okay, better keep up in that. So absolutely do that. And third is work with a good functional medicine practitioner. Get your testing done. You can start in perimenopause. You can start potentially replenishing hormones or at least getting herbs in there to get your progesterone up to offset estrogen. If your progesterone is really taking a nosedive, you will be relatively estrogen dominant. And really that is a a tough place to be. Breast tenderness and blood clots and irritability and weight gain. So make sure that your progesterone is up. And I love ifm.org. That's the Institute for Functional Medicine.org lists functional medicine and make sure you work with an MD or a DO, which is Doctor of Osteopathy. Or ND. Or MD, yes. Or well, ND. Okay. So forgive me for disabilities. <laughs> Not all of them have prescription privileges that is depending true. on what that is state true. you're in. So depending right. on the state, I would love for everyone to work with an ND, but I often refer elsewhere because I live in Connecticut and you can't get a prescription right, right. here to save your life. So not, I love my ND. So yes, (laughs) work with a practitioner. I'm a functional medicine dietitian. There are lots of us out there also running these amazing tests. Just work with someone legit, not an Instagram influencer. (laughs) Please, (laughs) for God's sakes, please. Right. This is your health, your labs, your life we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Invest intelligently. Do your due diligence. Make sure there's certifications, there's licensure interview people's success stories, interview clients. I say, who else have you worked with? Can I talk to any of your patients or clients? You know, like really do your research on who you interview. I love it. I love it. Well, for people who want to learn more around you and your upcoming book, your prior books, tell us all the things. Yes. Okay. So see you later. Ovulator comes out 10-4, which I love that release date, like over and out. You can go to, I'm on Instagram at gorgeous Esther. And uh, my website is estherblum.com. Definitely get on my newsletter because I'm going to do a lot of announcements. We're going to do some giveaways down the line. And yeah, just what a great privilege to be here, Carrie. I mean, seriously, so fun. So, so, so fun. I could talk to you all day long. I just really appreciate you taking the time because like we said in the very beginning, women just don't get the information they need around perimenopause and menopause. Or as you said, right from the get-go, the gaslighting is high. And I love to be able to talk to you about this to debunk these myths and really set women on a path to be their own self-advocate. So thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you. my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. 
You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.